Well, good morning again. Kind of back up here after, I guess, three weeks. Last week was kind of a recap week from our life trip and how everything went with that. And we heard some great testimonies from the kids last week and saw some a good PowerPoint presentation uh, that just can capture a little bit of all the things that went that happened that week. You know, but as we come together this week, uh, we're approaching the end of our series on spiritual gifts, and we're going to cover 1 Corinthians 14 as the last part of our, our series. Um, before we get into that, I just wanted to share a little bit of insight with you on parts of a service, things that happen during a service, um, just to kind of get our minds around that. Uh, you're starting with a message time. You know, with a message, since that's kind of what I do, I guess, among other things, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you could prepare for a message. There's different styles, different formats. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it. You know, as you think about a message, normally you have about two minutes to catch somebody's attention before they wander off, before they're distracted, before they're sleeping. You know, and there's many times where I, you know, I try to have a decent opener to get us engaged into the topic. I might intersperse some jokes here and there to call us back into attention a little bit. Uh, there's been times where I wanted to just shout really loudly just to see who's paying attention. And I did, I brought a ton of stuff today, but I forgot the one thing I wanted to bring was a bucket. I wanted to bring a bucket that just maybe had water balloons in them. <laughs> just to make sure that I would just have your, and just set one, let's just right here. Just so that I would have your attention. Not that I would ever throw that in the building. I mean, this is a sanctuary, we can't do that. I've done a lot worse. But you know, sometimes we get distracted because we get hung up on a point, you know, and we're thinking over that point for a few minutes, but we've missed everything that was said in that time. You know, I get it. Some, th some of that stuff happens. Sometimes your children have a meltdown. Sometimes you're, you're hungry and you're thinking about what's for lunch or the Packers game's coming on. Hurry up, preacher. You know, all of those types of things. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, within the message, what you're trying to convey is the what, so what, and the now what. It's where you're sharing the information that's given, answering why is it important for me, and then what am I to do with that information. You know, and that's just for the message time. You have so many other elements within a service that vary from church to church, whether that's singing, prayer time, communion, announcements, special, special things, scripture reading. And, and, you know, people judge the elements that are involved in a church based on their traditions, their experiences, their preferences of what they like or don't like. You know, as we wind down in this series on the gifts, we're approaching a portion of the now what part of the series, where Paul is going to be addressing, so now what are we going to be doing with this knowledge of the gifts? You know, in each message, you have those things, and that message could cover a phrase. It could cover a couple of verses. But you also have that in the larger segments of scriptures, the different topics that the author is talking about in those. So it could be covering a whole book. It could be covering a few different chapters. It's this balance that we understand within our Christianity of the forest and the trees, where we can zero in on some of these details and get deeper 
and then see, being able to see the big picture as well. So I want us to think about these types of things as we read through our passage today. So if you could have your Bibles, you can join me in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read the whole, pa- the whole chapter today, um, but we're only going to cover half of it in terms of the message. <clears throat> so beginning in verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my, I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are all out of your minds? But if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only... Let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. 
Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be kept silent, should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Father, I just pray that you would quiet our hearts and minds this morning, that we can hear clearly from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I read all of chapter 14 today to kind of give us some context and also just a little bit of foreshadowing for next week. I'm sure that's going to be an exciting sermon. It's always fun to talk about how women should be silent in church, right? That's going to be a good one. But within the next two weeks, we're going to be focusing on this chapter. And it's a very practical chapter that Paul has that he is sharing with the Corinthians as he is focusing on both the word and worship both of which are emphasizing the need to be building up the body. This is the use uh, of what these things are for, is to build up the body. Now, to build up means to help someone grow in the faith, to grow in their knowledge, their love, their hope, their surrender, their obedience, um, where they are being encouraged by one another. Um, Sometimes I will use the word edification or to edify. That is the same meaning, and that's what I mean when I say edify is to build up. So the people need to be built up in the word and worship, something that probably was not happening at the church in Corinth. So this is the focus that we're going to be looking at. And this week we're going to look at how the word is what builds us up. And we're going to break that down. How Paul is arguing here for the use of intelligible speech rather than unintelligible speech. That is what is needed in order to build up the body. Um, And that is where he is going to be focusing. Now, he is not going to be tearing down or dismissing any of the gifts of the Spirit. He is not looking to validate or invalidate something. He is simply saying for the greater good of the body, it needs to be understood. It needs to be intelligible for your organized times of worship. Now, for the Corinthians... Again, throughout this whole series, they are our context. We need to understand what is going on in their midst and why this is an issue for them. We need to look at these texts within the context because there are pieces, especially within chapter 14, there are phrases, there are verses that we can just cherry pick out and make them very legalistic. And we need to be careful with how we do those types of things. We need to be careful of the meaning and what Paul is addressing within this church. You know, remember, the Corinthians, they're boasting about their use of gifts, especially the gift of tongues. Um, That is what was important to them. That is what they were upholding. You know, if you attend a church, a different church, you can attend this church um, several weeks at a time. You can find out very quickly what's important to that church. 
What are they spending their time on? You know, is it, is it the message time? Is it the music? Is it the coffee and the fellowship? Is it the kids' programs? Is it Jesus? Is it the Bible? You know, what are they spending their time on? What do they uphold? You know, each, each church is different because the people are different. The people are gifted differently within each church. And they come together, hopefully, under the gospel to proclaim the gospel and advance the gospel and the kingdom forward. You know, when you look at different churches, you see that all of them have little niches that they fill, that they do well based on the people that they have. You look at our church. You see how our church has changed. You know, you think back to when you guys were in the, the small building downtown. What were you able to do? What was your focus? Generally, your focus was more towards adults, training, leading, guiding them. But, you know, as we continue to grow, as we get more kids surrounding everybody, our, our, shifts, our focus shifts a little bit to where we include more of those ministries, more of those programs, based on people that we have that are able and willing to lead and teach in those programs. And we try to cater or minister to those needs. You look at some of the traditional forms of teaching that we have. You know, traditionally you would have Bible study programs. You might have Wednesday night services, Sunday night services. But you look at how things have changed over the last 50 years. You know, it used to be where schools would keep Wednesday nights free. But now you have programs, you have traveling teams, you have everything else that the kids are involved in so they can't come to Wednesday night things. They can't come to Sunday night things because that's when your tournaments are. You know, so you, you think about how things change. Traditionally, you would have Bible studies, but you look at our schedules. How many of us work more than 40 hours a week? How many of us don't get off work till 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night or work second shifts or third shifts? So you can't come to an, a traditional 6 o'clock study time, maybe a Saturday morning study time, or you have to look at different ways to disciple. You have to think outside of your traditional ways. And, and a church will evolve that way to try to meet the needs of people as best they can, to bring people into relationship with Christ. You know, when we look at this section of the first 25 verses, Paul is stressing the importance of how they need to uphold the importance of the word in a way that is understandable to the people. They need to speak in ways to believers and unbelievers alike in ways that they can understand, in ways that they can hear. So what was it that would edify and build people up? Was it tongues? No. Tongues by themselves would not edify. This is the chapter that Paul lays out. Tongues need an interpretation in order to edify. Otherwise, it's just building up the individual. To build up everyone, they would need an interpretation. You know, you look back to the day of Pentecost. People spoke in tongues. Other people knew the languages that were spoken. They received edification because they heard the mysteries in the Spirit. They heard the mighty deeds of God in their native languages. There was not an interpreter that was necessary at that time. You look through the book of Acts. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see them recording an interpretation being given in all the uses of tongues. So we're not told about interpretation other than right here in Corinthians, where Paul is addressing it. You know, so in Corinth, 
perhaps in some of the other churches, you then try to assume what's going on. You try to infer what's going on to where people are speaking in tongues and others are not understanding the language. So Paul is putting in this boundary that there needs to be an interpretation. It's necessary then for those present to benefit and understand what's being said. Again, Paul's primary motivation is for the edification of the church, to build up everyone. And tongues by themselves would not do that. So they need to be put in their proper place as compared to prophecy within a, ser- within a service. Because, again, with the point to edify, prophecy at least would have that opportunity to do so, assuming that the person had ears to hear and was able to understand what was going on. Whereas, again, tongues would just edify the individual, prophecy could edify everyone else. So with prophecy, the other, time that we have to under, the other thing that we have to understand is the time and the place. We have to understand this context of what Paul is talking about when he's mentioning prophecy. Prophecy in this context would not be a prepared sermon. It would be a word from the Lord in that moment. As people are in the Spirit, they're getting the word from the Lord and they're sharing that. Um, the same thing would happen with the gift of tongues where it would come from the Spirit. But the interpretation would need to be there. But with prophecy... Um, you're hearing from the Lord, then you're weighing what's being said. You're going to the scriptures, you're studying what's being said to verify that thing. So there was a strong teaching included with prophecy. Um, And as people were doing this, it was all based on scripture. So it was encouraging because they were hearing the truth of the word being presented, and then you could grow from that. You know, as I give a message, I speak 30 to 40 minutes. Most sermons, I will include a lot of different scriptures to verify what I'm saying so that it's backed up that way. Now, as you're going through and you're listening, you might be writing down other areas of scripture that comes to your mind that the Spirit might be laying on your heart. You know, but as I give a message, I have no idea what all you're taking in. I don't know those times where you might be distracted. I don't know those times that you're dozing. No, I know when you're dozing off. I can see that. I can see those eyes closed and things like that. But you know, when we think about a message, many times I come up here and give a message that I've prepared, that I've been praying over, and I trust the Spirit to do the work in your hearts. Should I assume that because I've said it, you've understood it? No. Because inevitably, in three weeks, I'll hear, you know, we need to go over this in church. I'm just scratching my head. It's like, well, I know I said exactly that a few weeks ago. Or we just finished that sermon series. And maybe, you know, you were distracted. Maybe you were gone for a few of those weeks and you didn't hear those things for whatever reason it might be. Um, But, you know, I think what we actually retain from messages is less than we actually think. And there's multiple reasons for that. Part of that's me as a communicator, making sure I'm trying to communicate as well as I can in an understandable way. How am I sharing that message? Part of that's on our hearts and our attitudes and having ears to hear, dependence on the Holy Spirit. You know, so that we all have roles to play as we come together as a body to learn and grow from each other. Looking at verse nine, Paul says, so with yourselves, 
If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. Now, this morning I want to look at tongues a little bit differently. I think that we've studied it biblically enough and we can understand the spiritual gift a little bit, but I want to look at it a little bit practically in terms of different ways that we can perceive tongues. So, for example, how many of you um, have ever spoken to a baby in a baby language? And you see their face light up because of your goos and gahs and everything else. And you think, how do they actually know what I'm saying? Is that a tongue? Or how about if you are sharing a story, and it's a funny story, and you begin to laugh in the middle of the story, and you continue to laugh to where you're still telling a story, but nobody can understand what's coming out of your mouth. And the people want to laugh with you, but instead they're just laughing at you because it's just so funny. Is that a tongue? How about Christianese? The language of church people. Let's say you have a neighbor who is an unbeliever and they come up to you and they're sharing some issues that they're going through. They're sharing some problems, some hard things, and they know that you're a believer and that you might be able to help them. And you say, well, Jesus died for your sins. Is that true? Yeah. It's the gospel message. You understand it perfectly. But do they? Is that a tongue to them? Do you think about the words that we use and how we communicate to the unchurched or to the unbelievers in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families? I mean, isn't our goal, isn't our heart as Jesus for the lost? Don't we want them to come into salvation? So shouldn't it be on our hearts to present the gospel in a way that they can understand? Or are we more concerned with being right, using big terms like justification and sanctification and sacerdotalism and all of these big theological ideas and concepts that make us sound lofty? But it's just a foreign language to them. I know there's been times, and there's times like today, where we have visitors that come in, and I've been building on a point for two or three weeks, and I see them, and I'm like, man, they're not going to understand that because I built off of the last two weeks for this main point that I've been working through on this section. And, you know, in those moments, I think, okay, Lord, how can I present this differently to bring them into understanding, to make them a part of understanding what you are laying on our hearts as we go through these different series. The, pa the balance, the struggle that we have to make things understandable while still upholding the truth. The types of words that we use. I think it's a gift in terms of just leaning into the Spirit to allow Him to guide you in those times. But again, with this point of building up with the Word, we want that to be elevated rather than our own intellect, rather than our own lofty word usage and speech. You know, in verse 12, Paul kind of sums up the previous 11 verses. He says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So where is our striving? Is our striving for the church? 
or is it for ourselves? Do we come to church just to consume? Do we come to church for praise or admiration, approval? Are we coming as a body to share what God has given us to build each other up? You know, that is the goal that Paul wants for this body, to glorify God by using everything and everyone to do so. Now, he then goes into this next section of the chapter, and he, he's correcting their use of tongues. Um, again, he's not abandoning the gift or forbidding it. He strictly says that in verse 39 not to forbid tongues. But he's addressing how the gift is being used improperly within the Corinthian church. And he's emphasizing how building up the body is more important than sounding eloquent, than sounding lofty in your speech, or speaking in several different tongues. How that's not to the benefit of everyone. It's edifying to you, but not to everyone. So again, looking at this a little bit practically this morning. You know, we've talked about understanding of tongues and prophecy as we went through the gifts. But today I want to make a connection to tongues and prophecy within the struggles in our modern contexts. Because when we're trying to apply exactly what's going on here in Corinth to our own situation, it's not a one-to-one. You know, when we think about tongues, I think some of us may speak in tongues, but it's not something that we do as a church. Like, it's not something that we're going to incorporate into the service. If someone does speak in tongues within the service, this is where I would go to. Do we have an interpretation? If not, I would just ask the person to remain silent. Okay? So, within tongues, we might not see that gift being displayed here in the church. Um, Maybe what we do in terms of message, could be considered prophecy by Luther and Calvin's standards, but again, not to Paul's standards of what he's writing to here to the people in Corinth in terms of a word from the Lord. So, how can we understand this passage in terms of the issues that Paul is addressing within his context and relate that to our own contexts? So, we'll, we'll get back to kind of the same point that I already talked about a little bit in terms of Christianese, but let's look at some recent past, for instance. Um, growing up Catholic, I was trained in Catholic education and things like that, and I'm sure all of you are very familiar with what happened at Vatican II in the 1960s. Vatican II was a council that was led by the, the cardinals and the pope, and in 1962, I believe it was, that is when they said it was okay to do the Catholic Mass in the local languages. Before that, it was in Latin. So you think about the differences of being able to worship God in a foreign language versus your own language. You think about the struggles that Luther had in terms of trying to translate the Bible into German and the the feedback that he got from the Pope, from the the higher-ups. You think about the importance of making the Word of God understandable to the people. How important that is for us to be able to take in. And you think about us. You think about what happens within our service, what happens within the church that can be confusing or distracting for us as adults, for teens, for children to where maybe they're not engaged in the service. 
You think, again, about how they might not be encouraged or being built up. Again, some of that's on us, our own hearts and our own preparation, but we want to be intentional. You know, as I prepared for this message, what I really saw in this text was the importance of the word and how it's communicated. Now, I have heard for years, random people that talk to you, find out you're a pastor, what kind of church you go to, well, just preach the word. Preach the gospel. That's what matters. Great. What does that mean? Because each individual have a different understanding of what preach the word means. Do you mean that Jesus died, was buried, was raised again, and that's it? Is that the entirety of the gospel message? I think many people would love to hear that on repeat and then just sit still in our seats, ruminating on those thoughts and completely miss the sanctification and the kingdom advancement side of the gospel. I've spent years here fighting that type of attitude. My messages primarily focus on sanctification. How many of you remember last August and the challenge that I did? That was a fun week. We should do that again sometime. For those of of you that weren't here, it was a secret only to the elders, but we came in for the message time and I simply said, okay, pair up, you're going to share the gospel message with one another. You're going to share your testimony with one another. Because for many of us, we can sit in a church for years and never share the gospel message, never share our testimony, because we're afraid, because we don't know what to say. This should be a safe place where we can come together to encourage, to build one another up in the faith. To, sh- to rejoice as we rejoice and mourn as we mourn. And you think about a year has gone by. Gut check time. How many times in that year have you shared the gospel? Have you shared your testimony? We want to sit and pray for those lost neighbors, family members, friends, But are we intentional to have those conversations? God has put us in their lives for a very specific reason. We have the gospel. We have the light of Christ inside of us. Are we too afraid to share it? Because we want to be right. I lean so heavily on the gospel of Ezekiel, or not the gospel, the the message of Ezekiel and what God tells him. God tells Ezekiel, your your job is just to say the words that I tell you to say. It's their job to listen. But if you don't share what I tell you to say, their blood is on your hands. So brothers and sisters, we have an awesome responsibility to share the gospel message, the word with those around us. We cannot take that too lightly. Because it's a matter of life and death. You know, we've talked about preferences before. How sometimes that can dictate what we desire church to look like. 
In the next series, we're going to talk about community a little bit. We're going to talk about the church and the instructions that Paul gives to the early church of what they should be like, what they should be about. And we might get into a few of those preferences. But I have a question for you concerning the building up of the word. What if your desire for church is like tongues to everyone else? Again, not trying to invalidate or validate a gift of the spirit or tradition that we love. But do we have an attitude or a heart that says, well, that's their problem and they should pray to understand it because that's the way things should be? Or do we say, or do we learn to say that the gospel message, the word of God in its entirety is the most important thing for people to hear? No matter my love for hymns only. No matter my love for King James only. No matter my love that the, the pastor should be wearing a tie and a suit no matter that that person sitting in my chair, how dare he or she. Now, I'm not saying that the church changes the content or the context of the gospel message. But it needs to be understood and heard in a way that people can hear and be saved. I think that we can agree with that as a body. So, let's explore this thought a little bit, just so you can understand my stance. Now, I love most hymns. Again, I grew up Catholic, and we had a pipe organ, so it was awesome to hear a lot of these hymns being belted out. Uh, one of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Fount. So, my question is, what is it to raise my Ebenezer? What is like a fetter? Do you know what those things are? You know, if you've done a hymn study, Maybe you've looked up these words in, in a Bible dictionary and you can gain some understanding. Maybe you know where it talks about these things in Scripture. But for some of you, maybe this is a tongue because you don't know what the words mean. You might sing along. <laughs> that was a great one, by the way. You might sing along. You might understand um, some of the melody. It's a great hymn, but without an interpretation, is it just a tongue? You know, to raise my Ebenezer. An Ebenezer means a stone of help. It was found in 1 Samuel, where the Israelites are battling the Philistines, and they lose in a battle, and the Philistines take the ark away. Samuel comes to this place, and he's crying out to the Lord. In chapter 7, Verse 12, he says, it says this, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So then it goes on and they, they go to the next battle and the Lord is helping them and they win the next battle. So they come back and they commemorate this place to say that this, this altar, this shrine is a memorial for us to say that the Lord still helps us. So that when we sing that song of what it is to raise my Ebenezer, we're crying out to the Lord who is a God of help. Like a fetter, a fetter is a shackle. It is a chain that binds us. So it's those things that keep us bound. Things such as sin. So again, there is such depth and richness to the hymns. But without an interpretation, is it just a tongue? For our younger generations, 
maybe even for some of the older generations that have just followed suit and just sang it because that's what we do? Are we being diligent to interpret and being intentional? As I preach, I ponder what Paul says in verse 19 often. Am I communicating in ways that says I would rather speak five intelligible words to a sinner than a whole service of Christianese that can go over their head? You know, that's convicting to me because within this room of 80-some people, you have a lot of different maturity levels. You have a lot of different spiritual places that we're at, and you try to connect with each one. Yes, you allow the Spirit to work in each other's hearts. I, I get that. But as the Spirit uses me, you want to make things that are presentable. You want to challenge in different ways because you have those that are young and you have those that are really high in their understanding. So when you are preparing a message, you hold all of that balance in your head. Are the words that I'm using edifying to the body? Finally, for today, as we focus on a word that builds up, these last five verses, 20 through 25 there. For the Corinthians, again, they exalted themselves because they spoke in tongues. Paul said, you know, it's not a good idea unless there's an interpretation. You can go into any church and find things that they're doing that is part of their tradition. It's part of their background. And you can ask that question, why are you doing things the way that you're doing them? You know, we have those things as well. Each body has a particular context and history. And Paul leaves this section with a very important warning. He reminds them about the Israelites in Isaiah's day. How the people would not repent even if Isaiah came speaking their own tongue. That perhaps with a foreign tongue, they would repent through the Assyrians, through the exile. The people of God would not hear his voice, period. So he needed to bring them out in different ways. He needed to draw out their repentance in different ways. So that's what's meant by having a different tongue within that type of context. You know, in many areas of our faith, perhaps we have very similar ideas and feelings, ideas that we have arrived. I mean, we're God's elect. We're chosen. We have the assurance of salvation, and we rest on that. What that can do sometimes, though, is make us lazy in our faith, in our pursuit of God. Tongues were a sign for the unbelievers in order to be brought into a right relationship with God, even if the unbeliever was among the elect. I mean, you have things in the Bible like Peter and Cornelius, for instance. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes and he is giving the gospel message to Cornelius and his family. All of a sudden, the Spirit falls upon this family and they start speaking in tongues. Well, if tongues are a sign for unbelievers, yet here are these people that are Gentiles speaking in tongues. Why? What was the point of that if the gift is meant for the unbeliever? One thought is that Peter in that moment is the unbeliever. Not unbeliever in the sense of salvation, but unbeliever in terms of lacking in faith. Because Peter had this attitude that only the Jews could receive salvation. And the tongues that he heard meant that the Holy Spirit was coming upon these Gentiles. 
So then he understood that salvation was open for all. It was an attitude that he needed to repent of in that moment to see that God had a larger picture in store for his plan of salvation. You know, I think that the first option for a church should always be on prophecy, where we are communicating the word of God in an intelligible, understandable way, where there is clarity for the people to understand because that will build them up to where they can understand that they are all sinners. They have fallen short of the glory of God and that they are in need of salvation. Then God, through his love, sent Jesus, his son, to come down to the earth and live a perfect life in order that we may be saved. He offered himself as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. He died on our behalf. He was raised on the third day. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. We as the church celebrate that and we are to spread this gospel message and be light for him becoming like him through the transformation of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, for some of you, you may have understood that perfectly. For others, maybe you think, well, you need a little bit more in this area. But for others, perhaps it was a tongue. Because you need to understand some of the concepts that I said. You need to unpack some of these things in the gospel message a little bit more. You know, as I mentioned last August, we need to be able to explain the gospel message like we're explaining it to a child. We also need to be able to defend the gospel message like we're defending it against somebody with a doctorate degree. And we have to understand the balance and the clarity of who we're talking to and what needs to be said when by depending upon the Holy Spirit. But most importantly, I think we need to understand the gospel, gospel message in our hearts. But we need to know salvation. But we need to know our sin that separated us from the Father. The decisions that we made to disobey him. But we need to understand that he is our creator. That we were desperately lost, destined for hell. But God, who in love, while we were still enemies, sent his son to die in our place. For the wages of sin is death, and death is what we all owe. But God stepped in with the sacrifice of Jesus to pay that debt that we could not pay. And he, because of that, he brings us life. And we have life abundantly to live here for him, and we look expectantly to live forever with him in heaven. We have to know that. We have to feel the pain of the cross, the pain of our sin, the wrath of God that was poured out, knowing that's what was destined for all of us. That's what's destined for those lost around us. But God, but God can use me and you to speak into their lives, to bring truth and a word that builds up through the gospel message to bring them into salvation. Church is not a club that we come to just to hang out. Church is a way of life where we need to come together to encourage one another so that when we leave these doors, we understand that we are entering our mission field to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, to our Jerusalems, to our Judeas, to our Samarias. God has gifted each one of us. 
He has designed us in ways that maybe not everybody can get up here and speak and give a sermon. But you can have a conversation with someone. Maybe you can take a gift over to somebody, make a meal for somebody, invite somebody over for some games, have some fun. Share what's important in your life. When you talk to people, do you know what's important to them? Usually you can tell within the first five to ten minutes. What do they talk about? What's on their heart? What's on their mind? I'd say 90% of us right now would say, I'm busy. Because we're, we're running around. We're busy. We get that. But where is Christ in your heart? Do you wear him on your sleeve? Are you a Jesus freak? Are you proud to be a Jesus freak? Not just to sing the song, but to know the meaning of that. I don't know how, I don't know where I'd be without the salvation of God. I don't know what else I would be doing without that. But since then, that time that I remember so vividly in my mind, I have not stopped speaking of him in my life. Whether that's from a pulpit, whether that's in a neighborhood, whether that's in the factories before I became a pastor. The same should be true of all of us. As we sit with our salvation, we sit with understanding what Christ has done for us. We should know that we come to church to be equipped to go out. We come to church to be encouraged with the word that is made alive in our hearts by the Spirit. And we glorify and praise him in wonder and awe. And I just want to read the last couple of verses here in this section, beginning in verse 24. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Church, can we worship today and declare that God is really among us? Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you today knowing that we have fallen short and knowing that we have received your grace. Lord, many times in life we can get in these ruts where we have our ticket to heaven and we're good. But Lord, you have made us for so much more. You have given us so many more opportunities. And I pray that you would give us the eyes to see and the words to say in those moments. Lord, that you would put the scriptures on our hearts that can be built that can build up one another and to encourage one another. That you can put the words in our hearts and minds as we evangelize. Lord, I pray that people would just be able to tell by looking at us that we are your followers. Lord, your word says that 
the world will recognize us by our love and how we love one another. It's not how many languages we speak. It's not the Christianese that we say. But Lord, we are your hands and feet. We are your servants. So I pray that you would continue to guide us and direct us in our life. Give us that time each day to spend with you to build our relationship, to increase our knowledge. Give us those relationships here at this church to be encouraged, to be built up in you. Lord, as we are built up, I pray that it is in the truth of your word. That is the standard that we live to. For those times that we fail to uphold that, Lord, we repent. We ask for forgiveness. And we ask for the strength from your spirit to overcome. Not in our own willpower, not trying harder, but just resting in your truth. Obeying and surrendering to that truth. Lord, we praise you and we love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.